America is the most powerful and influential nation politically, economically, and militarily that the world has ever seen. But where is America in Bible prophecy? Are there passages that actually refer to America? Or will America face some type of catastrophic event that will lead to her demise? What is the future of America in the end times? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we're going to listen to Pat's guest, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, who recently presented a message at the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference entitled, The Late Great United States. Let's join Dr. Hitchcock now as he presents his message on The Late Great United States. Tonight, though, I thought I'd begin with a list that I like. There's a list that I like. It's called uh, the top 10 ways to know if you're obsessed with Bible prophecy. Thought we might all like to take this together. It's one of these top 10 lists. Number 10 on the list is you use the left behind books as devotional reading. <laughs> Number nine, you get goosebumps when you hear a trumpet. Number eight, you believe the term church fathers refers to Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye. Number seven, you believe there's an original Greek and Hebrew text with Schofield's notes. Number six, you can name more signs of the times than you can commandments. Number five, you refuse a tax refund check because the amount comes to $666. Number four, barcode scanners make you nervous. Number three, you talk your church into adapting the 60s pop song Up, Up and Away as a Christian hymn. Number two, you never buy green bananas. I like that. The Lord could come back at any time, see, so you don't buy green bananas. And number one is you always leave the top down on your convertible in case the rapture happens. <laughs> that probably really applies here. A lot more convertibles here than there are in Oklahoma. You know, I'm not obsessed with Bible prophecy, but I believe it's a key part of God's revelation to man. Now, whenever someone asks me, why do you enjoy studying Bible prophecy, my common response to them always is, I love Bible prophecy because I love the Bible. Now, the Bible was 27% prophecy at the time it was written. And to me, if you don't understand at least something of Bible prophecy, then you don't really understand the Bible. And so I love Bible prophecy because it just helps me put the Bible together really in a cohesive a whole and to understand. And I pray you'll love it for that reason as well. We've been talking about some different questions that people ask about the end times, about prophecy. We've been taking some questions um, at the end of our times together. In fact, last night, one of the questions during the Q&A time was the topic I want to address tonight, and that is, where is America in Bible prophecy? Or when will God judge America? Those are probably two of the questions I get asked most often. I'm almost never on a radio program, never on a television interview. That someone doesn't ask, where's America in Bible prophecy? When is God going to judge America? Now, I've never had anybody ever ask me, where is Canada in Bible prophecy? Even when I've spoken in Canada, they never ask that. In Canada, they always ask, where's America in prophecy? Nobody's ever asked me, where's Brazil in prophecy or New Zealand or any other country? But America is the most powerful nation politically and economically and militarily the world has ever known. So it makes sense that people would want to know where is the United States in Bible prophecy. Now, I've written a book called The Late Great United States. Of course, I stole part of that title, The Late Great Planet Earth from Hal Lindsey. 
But it's a book I wrote several years ago. It's what Bible prophecy reveals about the last days, where I go into this in detail. I wanted to share with you a little bit of what's in the book here tonight. The question really is, America mentioned in Bible prophecy, all of us would agree that America is never specifically mentioned by name in the Bible. You never find the words America or the United States in Scripture. Everybody agrees on that. But the real question is, is America referred to in the Bible under some other name or title? Is there some symbolic statement or maybe symbolic use or reference to the United States? I want to just go through and look at some of the places where people claim they find America in the Bible. One of the places where people try to identify America is they'll say, well, America is the ten lost tribes of Israel. This view is often called British Israelism. Some of you may have heard of that. They take that, you know, Britain is part of the tribes and America, by extension, is part of the other tribes of Israel, these ten lost tribes. Well, I've got news for us all tonight. The ten tribes of Israel aren't lost. God knows where they are. In fact, after the Babylonian captivity, after the Assyrian captivity, when the ten tribes were carried away, some of the ten tribes came back to the land of Israel with the two tribes, restored back to the land. You remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is taken to the temple to be dedicated, it says there was a woman there, an elderly woman named Anna, and says that she was, was the tribe of Asher. Well, Asher is one of the ten northern tribes. So, I mean, this is the northern tribes were taken into captivity in 722 B.C. This is 700 years later, and she knows her tribe, and it's one of the northern tribes. And, of course, when you get to Revelation chapter 7, you have 12,000 men of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, including these 10 northern tribes. So, the 10 lost tribes aren't lost tribes after all, and America has nothing to do with those lost tribes of Israel. Some will say, well, America is this unnamed nation in Isaiah chapter 18. Let me put this passage up here for us. In Isaiah 18, 1 and 2 in the King James, it says this, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sends ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, Go, ye swift messengers, to a nation scattered and peeled. And some take this, the idea of scattered and peeled means laid out and divided to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled, or some translate, whose land the rivers have divided, you know, like the Mississippi River, the great rivers that divide our country. So many people have taken this passage to be a reference to the United States. Let me give you three reasons why Isaiah 18 is not a reference to the United States. Isaiah 18 to 23 is God's announcement of judgment on the nations surrounding Israel. And obviously the United States is not anywhere close to Israel. Isaiah 18 fits into the larger context of Isaiah 18 to 20, which is one connected prophecy dealing with God's judgment on Cush and Egypt, which were one nation at that time. And the phrase, the land shadowing with wings, doesn't refer to the wings of an eagle, but the whirring wings of insects that infested the Nile River Valley in that day. So I don't take it Isaiah 18 has anything to do with America either. Now, a lot of people will say, and this is probably the most common view, is that America is Babylon the Great in Revelation 17 and 18. This great prostitute that's there that, you know, is corrupting the nations. 
Now, again, I don't have time to go into this in detail, but my view is that Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 is literal Babylon. By the way, did you know there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation? 44 of the 404 verses are about Babylon. 11% of the book of Revelation is about Babylon, more than any other topic. I think that's interesting. There you have, right near the end of the book of Revelation, you have Babylon the Great, and Babylon there, this prostitute, is in distinction to the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, which is this chaste bride of Christ. And I think what you have at the end of Revelation is everything's come full circle. You remember how after the flood, man's rebellion against God started at Babel, there on the Euphrates River at the Tower of Babel. And everything's going to come full circle as man's city rises again and Babylon is rebuilt in the end times and finally destroyed by God. So I take Babylon there to be literal Babylon. The word Babylon is used about 300 times in the Bible, and every time it's used, except maybe with one exception in 1 Peter 5, it always refers to Babylon. So it seems to me odd it would change its meaning all the way at the end there. But I mean, there's been all kinds of books written about Babylon being New York City and so on, and people go on and on about that, but I disagree uh, with that thesis. Now, if you want to find America in prophecy in the Bible, the best place to find America is Ezekiel 38, 13. Remember, we looked at Ezekiel 38 last night, this great coalition of nations that are going to invade Israel in the end times. It's going to be Russia and Iran and Turkey, and it's going to be Sudan, and it's going to be Libya, and it's going to be nations from Central Asia. But when those nations invade, Ezekiel 38, 13, it says, Sheba and Dedan, and we said last night that that's Arabia and these more moderate Gulf states on the Arabian Peninsula. And the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? So when these nations are invading Israel, Sheba and Dedan and these merchants of Tarshish with all its villages are going to kind of give a lame protest to this invasion. But the question is, who is Tarshish? And literally, many have translated this, Tarshish with all of its young lions. And the phrase with all its villages or young lions is a Hebrew idiom that refers to the nations that have come out of Tarshish. So obviously the key point then is where is Tarshish? Well, a lot of people believe, and I'm included in this, believe it's Spain. This would mean the villages of Tarshish. It could be, you know, Central and South America, or it even could be some of the nations of Western Europe. Remember when Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, he got on a boat in Joppa to head the other way to Tarshish, as far as you could go to the west, to Spain. But some believe it's England. And so the young lions of Tarshish would be the nations that came out of England, which could be the U.S. and Canada, Australia, New Zealand. The problem to me here of making the young lions of Tarshish refer to America is to me the evidence is just too tenuous to be dogmatic about it. But it could be that America is mentioned there in this veiled way as one of the nations that gives kind of a lame protest when these nations are invading Israel, along with these more moderate Arab nations, Sheba and Dedan. But my conclusion is that America is not mentioned in the Bible. I think it's even Ezekiel 38 is too tenuous. So you say, well, what's the significance? If you're, you, you say tonight, if you're right, America's not mentioned. What's the significance of that? 
Well, it could be that God just chose not to mention America, right? I mean, He didn't mention a lot of places, so maybe He just didn't mention America. That's possible, but it seems odd to me that He wouldn't mention America if we are the world's greatest superpower when the end times begin. I mean, it seems to me strange you wouldn't mention the most powerful nation in the world if they are indeed the most powerful nation of the world when these events are taking place. Some will say, well, prime prophecy primarily deals with Israel and her immediate neighbors. And that's true. Most of prophecy deals with Israel and the, the immediate nations around Israel and kind of a little broader area. It doesn't tell us a lot about nations real far away. But we saw last night that there are nations in Central Asia. There's Rosh or Russia. Revelation 16 talks about the kings of the east who come from far to the east of Israel way east of the Euphrates River. So the Bible does talk about faraway places, and so if God had wanted to mention America, He could have mentioned it in a way where people would have known what He was talking about in the end times. The other option here is, is that America won't be a key player in the end times. The reason we're not mentioned is because something must happen to us. And that's what I think the Bible would indicate, because this is a key verse here, Revelation 13, 4. Because it says this, it says, in the end times, it says, who is like the beast, that is the Antichrist, and who's going to be able to make war with him? In other words, the Antichrist and his reunited Roman Empire, at least from the middle of the tribulation on, is going to be the dominant power in the world. Now, if they are the dominant power in the world, then that means America is not the dominant power in the world. I mean, it's just uh, that simple. So at least by the midpoint of the tribulation, America is not the great power on earth at that time. So I think the silence is deafening. Now, John Walvert, in his book, The Nations and Prophecy, he wrote it back in 1967, he said this, although conclusions concerning the role of America in prophecy in the end time are necessarily tentative, the scriptural evidence is sufficient to conclude that America in that day will not be a major power and evidently does not figure largely in either the political, economic, or religious aspects of the world. And I would agree uh, with that statement by Dr. Walvoord. Now, if that's true, America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy, then what is America's future? What could happen to America? Now, since the Bible doesn't say... The things I'm going to mention here tonight are speculation, and I want to make that clear up front. But I think, you know, when we look at our world today, there are some plausible scenarios out there of what could happen to the United States. One idea that a Soviet professor, a Russian professor, came up with recently is that America is going to have a civil war, and we're going to divide into these four parts or actually these five parts. You notice Hawaii will either go to Japan or China down there. It's news for you guys down here at the very bottom. Alaska will go to Russia, and the Texas Republic will be part of Mexico or under Mexican influence. That's where Oklahoma is. And of course, the thing that made me mad is this whole southern part's called the Texas Republic instead of the Oklahoma Republic, and we get thrown in there with them. But it's just kind of, you know, these ideas people have about what's going to happen, you know. Uh, America's going to split up someday, and these things will take place. Let me mention some plausible scenarios of things that could happen. One of the things that could happen is, and God forbid, but we could have a nuclear 9-11 at some point. Now think about that. I mean, think about what 9-11 did to the psyche of our country. There are nine nations that currently have nuclear weapons. And Iran is desperately trying to become the 10th. 
And they now have enough highly enriched uranium to build at least one uh, atomic weapon. They have satellites that could hit Israel. If a nation like Iran is allowed to get nuclear weapons, think of them passing that off to some type of terrorist organization that could slip something like that into America. Again, these aren't the kind of things I want to think about, and I pray for our country every day. But things like this are becoming more and more of a possibility than ever before. The idea that somehow a nuclear weapon could be detonated in the United States. There's a book not long ago called The Nuclear Express. It says a fierce storm is gathering, an Islamic bomb will bring about a world in which millions will die and more than one democratic society will be consigned to the dust heap of history. I mean, these things are just realities out there that, you know, people never had to think about before. Back in 2008, I ran across this. It says, a study predicts a biological attack within five years, and of course, that would be just one year now uh, from this point, that the margin of safety is now shrinking, not growing. I think this last statement's interesting. The United States should be less concerned that terrorists will become biologists, but far more concerned that biologists will become terrorists. There's just all kinds of dangers out there today. Another one, and I, you know, I don't want to say all this stuff to make you guys not be able to sleep tonight, but I did just want to mention these things. The, the whole idea of an EMP threat, an electromagnetic pulse, that you know, someone could get a nuclear weapon up above the United States at certain levels, and if it was detonated, what it would do is it would knock out the electrical grid. And it's fascinating because if it's at a height of, of 30 miles, you can see what it does, a height of 120 miles at a height of 300 miles what it can do. I mean, it would put people back uh, before we have electricity. I mean, we're not talking here just about a little minor interruption either. I think it's interesting. I thought I'd put this in here because I thought, well, since I'm going to be here with you guys, I know it's on July 8th, 1962. Some of you may have been here at the time. The EMP from the high altitude, 250 miles above Johnston Island, starfish prime test, turned off 300 streetlights in Oahu, Hawaii, 740 miles away. I don't know if some of you were here at the time, maybe that happened, but this was a nuclear detonation took place 250 miles above Johnston Island. Evidently, it had effects, you know, 740 miles away. So these are the kinds of things that are out there today. Another thing that we look at is just the financial apocalypse that we have here in our country. I mean, you could call the financial crisis we're facing really in our nation at this time a financial 9-11 really that's taking place. The economic tsunami that's out there if we just keep spending money that we don't have. These are some of the headlines from back in 2008. A lot of you remember that well. You know, we're getting slowly kind of back to where we were at that point in time, but you know, bailout nation, Wall Street financial meltdown, Wall Street panics. Remember when the Dow plunged 778 points? I lost a trillion dollars. The fall of America Inc. We're up at, what's it going to be, $16.5 trillion at the end of this year if this budget we have is approved? I mean, it's just the debt that we're amassing is just insanity. This is a little graphic I ran across a while back, going out of business sale, you know. America uh, up for sale in our nation. This is something fascinating, though. This was December 7th of 2009 in Newsweek. Notice the headline there, How Great Powers Fall. Fascinating article. In it, it said this, this is how empires decline. It begins with a debt explosion. It ends with an inexorable reduction in the army and the navy and the air force. They went through all these great powers from the past. I mean, some of them, you know, centuries ago. 
and showed how they amassed these massive debts. And when they got these debts, they couldn't then afford their military. And to keep things going, they had to keep shrinking their military, which ultimately made them vulnerable to attack and brought about the end of the empires. See, people don't realize whenever you're amassing debt like we're amassing, there's the financial issue, but it trickles down to everything else, including the military. And of course, we need military, you know, in every area today more than any time in history because of all the dangers that are out there. Another plausible scenario is just the whole oil crisis. The world uses about 86 million barrels of oil a day, and we use one out of four of them here in the United States. We import about two-thirds of our oil. You know, back in 1973, when the Arab oil embargo hit, and we had the long lines, you know, and boy, all the politicians were saying, we can't be dependent on this foreign oil. We've got to get out from underneath this. Back then, we imported 35% of our oil. Now it's two-thirds of our oil. Something I thought was interesting, I read a while back, the total value of the United States of America is $56 trillion. So if you take the whole United States, our nation, I don't know how they figure this up, but our nation is worth $56 trillion. That's 400 billion barrels of oil at $140 a barrel, and Saudi Arabia and Iran have about that much oil. So at $140 a barrel, the oil in Saudi Arabia and Iran could buy the United States for $56 trillion. I mean, those countries over there, they have us over a barrel, don't they? They really do. We consume more gasoline than the next 20 countries combined. We consume 7.6 billion barrels of oil each year in the United States. This is something a lot of you probably heard this. This was attributed to Alexander Fraser Teitler years ago. He said the average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations always progress through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. Now, I'll let you figure out where we are on that scenario there, but I don't think we're in uh, any of the first three stages that are there. Back in 1857, a man named Thomas Macaulay wrote this, Your republic will be as fearfully plundered and laid waste by barbarians in the 20th century as the Roman Empire was in the 5th century. With this difference, the Huns and the Vandals who ravaged the Roman Empire came from without. Your Huns and Vandals will have been engendered within your own country. One of the plausible scenarios for the fall of the United States is God's abandonment and taking His hand off of the United States because of the sin in our nation. Robert Bork, years ago, in his book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah, he said, American culture is complex and resilient, but it is also not to be denied there are many aspects of almost every branch of our culture that are worse than ever before, and the rot is spreading. There have been 50 million abortions in America since it was legalized. Did you know that according to the Centers for Disease Control, 26% of girls 14 to 19 years of age in America have at least one sexually transmitted disease? One out of four girls 14 to 19 in America. 80% of the material on the internet is pornography. It's a $12 billion a year industry. 
out-of-wedlock birth is almost the new norm now. It's almost 50-50 in this country. In 1948, 3.8% of babies were born out of wedlock. In 1960, it had gone up to about 5%, and now it's almost 50%. In fact, I saw a big article the other day that said, out-of-wedlock birth, the new norm. And 25% of evangelical Christians, 18 to 29, favor homosexual marriage. It's interesting that the younger generation doesn't see things biblically the way they should in these matters. What we see, though, is exactly what is spoken of in the Bible in Romans 1, 18 to 32. If you have your Bible, open up there, Romans 1, 18 to 32. I won't have time to look at this in detail, but I just want to mention this. A very important passage, because it talks about the wrath of God, and I call this the wrath of abandonment. When God abandons people to their own sin. When we think about God's wrath, there are really three aspects to the wrath of God. There is the direct wrath of God, like what God did at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? When God just comes and directly pours out His wrath on people. There's another aspect of God's wrath that we could call eschatological wrath, or uh, the wrath in the future, in the day of the Lord, when God's going to pour out His wrath during the tribulation. But a third aspect of the wrath of God that most people don't think about is what we call the wrath of abandonment, where God's wrath is expressed by Him simply abandoning people to their own sin. This concludes part one of Dr. Mark Hitchcock's study on the late, great United States. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and enjoy other great resources on the site. Also, the entire series from the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference featuring Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Kirby Anderson, and other fine teachers is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by teaching of Pat's guests like Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat's guest, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, concludes this study entitled The Late Great United States, right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.